Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. A controversial oil drilling project in Alaska is now approved. The Biden administration gives the green light today for a scaled back version of the project. What could it mean for the future of America's energy supply? The White House and the Fed make sweeping moves after two historic bank failures in quick succession. Reactions from investors, lawmakers and analysts. What you need to know. House Oversight Committee Republicans are reviewing subpoenaed bank records of some of Hunter Biden's business associates. Chairman James Comer saying it's as bad as we thought. U.S. officials stop hundreds of migrants trying to storm the border. Find out what caused them to make the desperate attempt. And more than a thousand Russian troops were killed on Saturday, according to Ukraine's military. If true, that could be the deadliest day of the war. We start the evening with a quick weather update. A strong winter storm will be hitting much of the northeastern United States later this evening. Winter storm warnings were issued across the region. A strong nor'easter was forecast to bring upwards of 30 inches of snow in some localities. The National Weather Service warned that heavy snow and strong winds will make it dangerous or even impossible to travel. New York Governor Kathy Hochul declared a state of emergency and warned there could be power outages. Forecasters say the storm may be the most impactful one to hit the Northeast so far this winter. And amid the second largest bank failure in U.S. history, President Biden defended the U.S. banking system and told Americans to rest assured. But some investors say they're concerned about how the government's actions could impact financial markets in the long run. NTD's Iris Tao has more from the White House. After the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank last week, President Biden tries to assure Americans that he can have confidence in the U.S. banking system amid federal response. Americans can have confidence that the banking system is safe. Your deposits will be there when you need them. The Monday speech comes after bank regulators announced on Sunday that the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation would fully cover deposits at both failed banks. And the money will come from Wall Street and large financial corporations instead of taxpayers. No losses will be borne by the taxpayers. Instead, the money will come from the fees that banks pay into the deposit insurance fund. But investors in the banks will not get the same protection as Biden says they knowingly took the risk. That's how capitalism works. The downward spiral of FBB began last Wednesday when it surprised investors with the news that it needed over $2 billion to shore up its balance sheet. And in just a matter of days, SVB collapsed as worried depositors rushed to take their money out, contributing to the second biggest banking failure in U.S. history. And while some lawmakers praised Biden for the sweeping action. He took very strong action. Uh, action that in many ways is extraordinary but absolutely necessary. Shark Tank judge Kevin O'Leary says Biden's move effectively nationalized the private banking system, which will have a profound impact on investors. Well, according to what the president is going to say, you have zero risk and that has consequences. There's no such thing as a free lunch and this is going to be very expensive for shareholders of banks long term. I would never put my money into a bank's stock ever again. 
Meanwhile, SVB's collapse is also shaking up expectations about the next rate hike by the Federal Reserve. The Fed has been rapidly increasing interest rates to try to tame inflation. But the latest bank failures and the stress in the banking system overall are making banks like Goldman Sachs tell their clients that they're no longer expecting another rate hike next week. Reporting from the White House, Aris Tao, NTD News. And earlier today, I spoke with chief economist at Vested, Milton Ezradi, for his analysis. He tells me the Federal Reserve is caught in a bind as interest rates rise, but that it's doing what it can to maintain people's trust in the system. Milton Ezrati, welcome to our show. Thanks so much for joining us. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, President Biden is vowing to do whatever necessary to ensure that the financial system is safe in the wake of SVB and Signature Bank's failures. The Fed had already rolled out an emergency lending program and the government expanded its deposit insurance coverage for the two banks over the weekend. What are your thoughts on the latest developments? Well, I think this is absolutely necessary. Um, I. I would, I would start by saying that this is not nearly the problem that we had in 2008, 2009. A lot of people naturally lean, uh, lean back into that, that ugly experience. But it's important because of the nature of banking for the authorities to do just what the president said, do whatever is necessary to protect the system. Concerns are rising that these bank failures may not be isolated cases. Bank stocks already started to tumble by Monday morning. How likely is it, do you think, that this panic will continue to spread to other banks? Well, a panic can always spread because it really only needs itself to spread. Uh, I'm confident, however, that the actions by the Federal Reserve already to backstop the deposits have done a great deal uh, to quell whatever panic might have occurred. And if you could explain for our viewers what went wrong, why did the two banks collapse? Well, um, to some extent, and uh, the, the banks had particular problems to themselves, which is why they are the ones. But there are aspects of these banks that are typical of all banking, particularly in this environment, the post-pandemic environment, and uh, the rising interest rates that are necessary to fight inflation, but they do put strain on the banks. And that's, that's true of all the banks, one of the reasons why we have to protect against a panic. Um, but I think there are particular reasons to these banks, particularly the uh, Silicon Valley Bank, uh, that make them select in this environment. Yeah, critics are pointing to red flags that regulators could have caught earlier in that case, but didn't. What's your analysis of that? Um, I don't know if the regulators could have caught it, but I see... Uh, two problems. Um, when the banks were flush with deposits, especially during the pandemic and in the immediate aftermath, uh, there was very little to invest in. So they bought a lot of bonds, government bonds and mortgage-backed bonds. I think Silicon Valley Bank bought a very long dated portfolio, effectively long maturities, and that made them especially vulnerable to rising rates. Other banks balanced their portfolios and were less uh, vulnerable. Now, some of the viewers may be wondering, will the taxpayers pay for this? Um, right now, the arrangements being set up by the Federal Reserve will not 
tax the taxpayers in this environment. I know that in 2008, 2009, taxpayers had money at risk through the TARP funds that were given to banks. There is no talk of that now, and I'm grateful for that. This should be handled in the monetary authorities, and the taxpayers will not have uh, money at risk at all. And some are saying that taxpayers will pay in the end because interest rates will rise through this process. What are your thoughts on that? Um, I think interest rates are going to rise anyway to fight the inflation. I don't think this in particular is going to push interest rates up. No. And the Fed is now expected to pull back a little on interest rate hikes after these collapses in the immediate term. What do you expect to happen here? Well, I think the Federal Reserve may be a little more cautious about rate increases. In the last uh, uh, public statements, uh, Federal Reserve Board Chairman Jerome Powell said they would be aggressive on interest rate increases. He may rethink that because every increase does put the banks in some degree of strain. But if he pauses altogether, if he stops altogether, then the inflation is an even much worse concern. Uh, so he's really caught in a bind. I think he will probably be cautious, but we will still see rate hikes. And finally, what do you think needs to happen to ensure trust in the system and in financial institutions generally? Um, I think what has to happen right now is that uh, the Federal Reserve and its actions quells the panic. And um, the, the whole system is so based on confidence that everything depends on, on um, uh, the lack of panic and the trust in the institutions. And the way to gain trust is to get through these failures with a minimum of spillover elsewhere. And the Federal Reserve is doing what it can now to do that. All right. Thank you so much, Milton Ezrati, Chief Economist at Vested. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. The Biden administration is striking a different tone on fossil fuel policy. Today, the White House announced it's greenlighting a scaled-back version of a controversial oil drilling project in Alaska. Here's NTD's Melina Wisecup with more details. Soon, there will be more oil flowing from Alaska's North Slope. An oil drilling project that's been in limbo since it was leased decades ago, now on track to produce around 180,000 barrels a day. What does this approval for the Willow Project actually mean for Alaska and our nation's energy supply? Well, it's a huge day for Alaska, Molina. What, what it does is it gives Alaska a, 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 another gigantic oil field to tap and produce oil and gas for the, uh, for the country. And this project is on federal lands. It is large. It can be done environmentally responsibly. Everybody that works on the North Slope knows that Alaska has the highest environmental standards. I, I can't say it was fully expected, but it's welcomed by the, the vast, vast majority of the people here in Alaska. The project quickly garnered praise from both sides of the aisle. Both Republican Senator Lisa Murkowski and newly elected Democrat Congresswoman Mary Poltola saying the project will generate revenues and create jobs. And some say the project is good news for the neighboring state of California. But a lot of that oil ends up getting refined in California. What those, those Alaska barrels do is they replace Saudi oil that is coming uh, via ship into California. In recent weeks, the Biden administration striking a different tone on oil and gas. So we're going to need oil for at least another decade. 
Biden's teetering on a narrow line as he still tries to keep his grip on his progressive base. The Willow Project is scaled back from five drilling pads to just three. Still, climate activists slam it as a lack of climate leadership and accuse Biden of handing over an intact ecosystem to ConocoPhillips. Messaging like this emerging as popular on social media, notably on the Chinese-owned app TikTok. Alaska Senator Dan Sullivan last week telling reporters. Has had over 300 million views relating to stopping this project. Maybe that's the Chinese Communist Party trying to influence young Americans. Climate groups will likely launch court challenges to stop the project. But if all stays on track, oil could be flowing down the Trans-Alaska pipeline in three to four years. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskup, NTD News. Deepening ties between the U.S. and Australia. The White House announced today that Australia will be buying three nuclear submarines from the U.S. Australia also has the option to increase the purchase to five. The submarines are worth around $3 billion each. Australia aims to put them into use by the 2040s. The purchase comes under a security pact between the U.S., the U.K. and Australia, known as AUKUS. The pact was created in 2021 to counter the Chinese regime in the Indo-Pacific region. And the House Oversight Committee has issued a subpoena for bank records of some of Hunter Biden's business associates who are linked to a now-bankrupt Chinese energy company. The investigation comes amid the Biden administration's early-year promises to take a harsher stance on Beijing. NTD's Arlene Richards reports. House Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer subpoenaed Bank of America asking for 14 years' worth of financial records related to three of Hunter Biden's business associates. The committee is investigating the Biden family's business dealings with a now-bankrupt Chinese energy conglomerate. Comer has said accessing financial information for the Biden family and its business associates is a top priority. He told Fox News the committee already has bank records in hand. So now we have in hand documents that show just exactly how the Biden family was getting money uh, from the Chinese Communist Party. And, and I will tell you, it's as bad as we thought. Committee ranking member Jamie Raskin, a Democrat, has said the number of records requested was unjustified. Comer told Fox News despite many delays, the committee is making progress. We have individuals who are working with our committee. Uh, in the last two weeks, we've met with either these individuals personally or with their attorneys. Uh, and th that would be four individuals who had uh, uh, ties in with the Biden family on their various schemes around the world. The investigation comes amid the Biden administration's early year promises to take a harsher stance on China through a series of new policies aimed at limiting China's influence. Critics call it a potential conflict of interest. In a nationwide survey conducted by the Trafalgar Group in late February, an average of 57.2 percent of respondents answered yes when asked if President Biden faces a conflict of interest in taking a tougher stance on China. 80.9% of Republicans and 53.5% of non-party respondents answered yes, with 54.9% of Democrat respondents answering no. More recently, Biden has characterized China as a competitor rather than an adversary. The third-term leader of the Chinese regime seems to agree. In a speech at the annual Chinese Communist Party meeting, Xi Jinping stressed the need to be self-reliant through strength in science and technology to better compete with the West in military preparedness. 
One of his goals is to build the military into a great wall of steel. Arlene Richards, NTD News. Turning now to the border crisis, U.S. officials stopped hundreds of migrants attempting to enter from Mexico yesterday. Many tried to secure appointments for asylum with an app set up by the Biden administration, which they say has not been working. NTD's Coast Temenez tells us more about what's been happening at the border. The migrants, many of them Venezuelan, gathered in Ciudad Juarez across the border from El Paso, Texas, but were unable to cross into the U.S., apprehended by barbed wire and barriers. Many of them said they had become frustrated with trying to use a new U.S. government app. We're doing nothing but waiting for an answer. This app is useless. I have waited a long time and there's no solution. The app, called CBP-1, was meant to streamline applications. Many say persistent glitches and high demand make the app unusable. Some say officials used pepper spray to thwart them. The crowd eventually withdrew after some pushing and shoving with officials. Some were heading down to the banks of the Rio Grande. Migrants were apprehended at two other locations on Sunday. Neither U.S. Customs and Border Protection nor Mexico's National Migration Authority immediately replied to requests for comment. According to the Department of Homeland Security, recent updates on the app will simplify and speed up the process. Cost MNS, NTD News. And in international news, over a thousand Russian troops were killed on Saturday, according to Ukraine's military. And if true, that could be the deadliest day of the war as the two sides continue battling over Bakhmut. NTD's Jason Perry has that story. A Ukrainian soldier in charge of cooking the meals shared his thoughts on how the war in Ukraine is going. We will eventually push them back uh, to their borders, maybe even forward. They will not win. It's relatively peaceful there in Kyiv, but the battle in Bakhmut remains intense. I would like to express my gratitude one more time, that you exist, that you are defending our land, killing the enemy. Ukrainian Colonel General Oleksandr Sirsky said they have defended against all Russian attacks on Bakhmut. Both sides see this as a strategic area to control. And Bakhmut has become the host of the longest ground battle of the war. I hope you successfully perform your military tasks and come back to your units safe and sound. And over the weekend, the Ukrainian military reported that they killed 1,090 Russian soldiers in a single day, Saturday. If true, that could be the deadliest day of the Russia-Ukraine war. To put those numbers in perspective, it took about a year and a half before the United States lost a thousand troops in the Iraq war. The founder of the Wagner Group, Yevgeny Prigozhin, said Sunday on the Telegram messaging app that the situation in Bakhmut was difficult, very difficult, with the enemy fighting for each meter. But Russia doesn't appear to be backing down. Russian President Putin met with the leader of Chechnya, a republic of Russia, who said this. The fighters of the Chechen Republic are successfully serving in the special military operation zone. We are fulfilling all your orders and aim to act to the victorious end. And Reuters cites unnamed sources to report that the leader of the Chinese Communist Party, Xi Jinping, is expected to visit Russia as early as next week. And after that visit, according to Wall Street Journal, she is expected to speak with Ukrainian President Zelensky for the first time since the war began.
The CCP hopes to be a mediator between the two countries, but Western leaders have expressed skepticism. Jason Perry, NTD News. And if you have any news tips or feedback for our show, you can email us at eveningnews at ntd.com. And up next, former President Trump hitting the campaign trail. He'll be delivering a speech to supporters in Iowa tonight. And in college basketball, March Madness is finally here. NTD's Dave Martin gives his take on the 68-team field. That and more coming up. Former President Trump is giving a speech in Iowa tonight. It's the state that will vote first in the 2024 Republican primary, and other candidates have also visited recently. This is former President Trump's first trip to Iowa since he announced his presidential campaign last November. The speech centers on his America First education policy. He's in Davenport, the same city that Florida Governor Ron DeSantis visited just three days prior on Friday. While DeSantis isn't officially a candidate in the race for president, many see him as the biggest challenger Trump would face. A recent poll by the Des Moines Register suggests that DeSantis and Trump have a similar favorability rating among Iowa Republicans. So a victory in this state isn't guaranteed for Trump, but a positive view of DeSantis doesn't necessarily translate into a vote for him. I think true Trump voters are going to stay with Trump. Um, He's already proven himself, so we know what he's capable of doing. And Ron DeSantis, he's an awesome governor. Um, I love him as the governor. I just think it's not his time. Um, maybe in the next, you know, after 2024. Trump's last time visiting Iowa was just before the midterm elections, when he campaigned for Iowa's Republican candidates. Governor Kim Reynolds, who got an endorsement from Trump in that election, introduced him to the stage Monday night. Another Republican candidate for president, Nikki Haley, also campaigned in the state last week. The Iowa Republican caucus are set for February 4th, 2024. Reporting by Allison Lee, NTD News. Over the weekend, former Vice President Mike Pence sharply criticized former President Donald Trump. Pence says Trump endangered his family. Pence spoke at the annual gridiron dinner attended by politicians and reporters. He addressed Trump's comments from January 6, two years ago, saying President Trump was wrong. I had no right to overturn the election and his reckless words endangered my family and everyone at the Capitol that day. And I know history will hold Donald Trump accountable. Pence has previously often shied away from directly confronting his former boss. Saturday's remarks are the sharpest condemnation yet as the former VP lays the groundwork for a possible run in 2024. Speeches at the Gridiron Dinner are usually humorous, and as expected, Pence also made a few jokes about the former president. He also commented on the newly released January 6 footage, which was released to Fox News by House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. Pence went on to say, make no mistake about it, what happened that day was a disgrace and it mocks decency to portray it in any other way. Now over to sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories. Thank you, Steph. The NCAA tournament field was revealed yesterday. And though there are no major surprises, the field has its usual quirks. First, the toughest region looks like the Midwest, with stalwarts Kansas, UCLA, Gonzaga, and even UConn to deal with. The Huskies are seated fourth, but
but for a while were ranked second in the country. Meanwhile, Kansas, which looked like they would get the number one overall seed and thus a chance to play nearby Kansas City, are instead headed out to Las Vegas after being blown out Saturday by Texas. Meanwhile, Duke under first-year head coach John Shire won the ACC tournament but ended up with a five seed, which is the lowest the school has had since being awarded a six seed in 2007. They're in the same East region where another perennial power, Kentucky, is just a six seed as well. Wildcats similarly haven't been this low since getting an eight in 2014 when they made a somewhat surprising run all the way to the Final Four. The Midwest region, meanwhile, has a trio of Texas schools that figure to play a prominent role as Houston grabbed the one seed while a streaking Texas squad is number two. But Texas could get tested early on as the Longhorns could potentially face rival Texas A&M in the second round. And finally, the South region is actually about as loaded as the West with SEC champ Alabama at the one, Pac-12 runner-up Arizona getting the two, while 2021 national champion Baylor is seated third and 2019 champion Virginia is fourth. Play begins Tuesday night with the first four in Dayton. And for your sports viewing schedule tonight, the NBA has seven games on, including a pivotal one out West as the Phoenix Suns play at the Golden State Warriors as each team needs a win to boost their playoff positions. And finally, for you hockey fans, the NHL is a triple header tonight featuring the somewhat struggling Colorado Avalanche who are hanging on to the final playoff spot out West. They play at Montreal. And that's it for your sports news today. Steph, back to you. Thanks, Dave. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox. Good night.